is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Whoever wrote that editorial and the narrative that comes out of some other writings recently just doesn't know what really happens in this White House. I've seen this president in action. Is he demanding? Yes. Is he a strong leader who expects things done yesterday? Yes. The, the Papadopoulos thing is, is ludicrous and always has been. What you end up with is the doors closing in on the people who committed the crimes. Comey, McCabe, Brennan, Strzok. And now, Stacy Washington. Right now, I first want to get into this story about the toxic masculinity. So that was sarcasm, you guys. You, you, you know I don't believe in toxic masculinity. I think there are men who are overly manly, and that could be offensive to women sometimes. But there are also women who are oven, overly female, if you will. And that can be offensive to men and to women. And the idea that manhood itself is toxic in general is just another lie from the pit of hell, a way to actually defang men who are supposed to have the fangs to take away their power so that they can't operate in the area that God has gifted them to operate in, which is the headship, the, to be the head and not the tail, to, to lead. That's what they're, they're here to do. So you've got the stabbing at Starbucks on Stockdale Highway. Now, here's what's interesting about this. It was a domestic violence dispute between the female who works at the Starbucks and this guy. They don't actually say if he's uh, like her husband or boyfriend or what have you, but they're in some kind of a relationship. He pulls out what is basically a machete and starts attacking her with it. And everybody else in the restaurant starts running. And one person, 27-year-old Blaine Hodge, he basically jumps in between the guy and the woman and he gets cut in his hands pretty badly. And he gets he, he sustains some injury to his torso with the machete, but he's able to wrestle it out of the guy's hands and save the woman's life because if he hadn't jumped in, she would have been killed. And so he's he's been on social media, he's in the hospital, and he's done a couple of Facebook Lives from there, and he's been saying, oh, thank you so much for your support. I love all of you so much, and thank you for being so kind. I just did what needed to be done. And this is the kind of thing that feminists don't want to see. They don't want to see men stepping in and saving a helpless woman who's being attacked. They want to see the woman rear up like Black Widow from the Avengers and, you know, do one of those slam the man to the ground thing with your legs, like those those weird, improbable, unworkable types of fighting maneuvers we see her doing in the Avengers. So, yeah, the, in, in the place of all that, a heroic man is just what the doctor ordered. Uh, so now I want to get to Joe, Deno Do Joe DiGenova. Wow, say that three times fast. Joe DiGenova talks about Papadopoulos getting 14 days in prison. It's number six. 
George Papadopoulos sentenced Friday to 14 days in prison, also getting a $9,500 fine. Yes. 14 days, that's almost like, you know, a, a, ch- a chance to see what prison's like, and then you can That's leave. a golf trip to Florida. Yeah, what do you make of that, that short sentence for George Papadopoulos? Well, uh, it, it's a sign that the court views it for what it was. He pleaded guilty uh, to lying about a legal act. His meetings with uh, uh, Stephen Halper and others were completely legal, and they were actually... Uh, pretextual meetings that were set up by the FBI by Peter Strzok. Uh, when all is said and done, uh, uh, Mr. Papadopoulos uh, turns out to be a fool, an idiot, and a dumbbell. Uh, but that said, uh, his plea is a nothing burger. What does matter is that this is going to be a bad uh, next 30 days for a bunch of people in the FBI and the DOJ under Obama. Uh, the Mueller probe is coming to an end with no indictments about collusion whatsoever. There will be one further indictment, um, another lying uh, about false statements made to the FBI. But other than that, it's over. And Mueller has told very close associates that he was handed, quote, a piece of crap on collusion, end quote. And they knew it from day one. Uh, What's disgraceful is that because of that, he continued forcefully to try and find something else, and they ended up with nothing. Um, uh, congratulations to Rod Rosenstein for creating a monstrous 18 months for the president of the United States. Uh, but, but we shall see what happens after the election. Joe, that's rather specific. So th- this Mueller investigation will be done within the next 30 days? Uh, no, not, not done within the next 30 days because they're still going to draft a report okay. uh, to accuse the president of interfering in the Flynn uh, case. They're going to try and make an obstruction out of that, which, of course, is ludicrous. Mm. So I I want to I want to uh, you know preface that with Joe DiGenova is not you know the only source of information but this is what he is saying in this interview and I found it fascinating because it kind of confirms some of the things that we've been asserting with numerous guests here on the show from White House staffers to reporters even people who I would technically consider to be on the left hand side of the political aisle. Everyone has said that they don't think there's collusion and that there's uh, like collusion with Russia to impact the election, that there's been these things that have been asserted against the president. And I think the biggest support of what he's saying here is that we've seen the media veer away from talking about collusion. Like they're just not talking about it anymore. Now they're only talking about, you know, he's unfit. He's he's he needs to be impeached, just generally speaking. Um, he needs to be gotten rid of with the 25th Amendment. The whole idea that the Russians had anything to do with what happened has been tossed out like so much garbage. Uh, so we know, we, we know what that's all about. Um, so at this point, now we're going to pivot over. Um, we've got Lindsey Graham talking about the DACA funding for the wall and um, actually the the things that are going on with the military because we have the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They build bridges. They build really anything you need built. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers can build it. And so the question is, could they execute on the plans to, uh, you know, shore up these areas of the border that have no fencing and no wall and complete the, the border fencing that the president has called for? And could he use military funds to get it done? And Lindsey Graham has some stuff to say about that. It's number two. Will we see the border wall funding before the September 30th yeah. uh, for the, for the uh, budget funding? Uh, the House has $5 billion. The Senate has $1.5 billion. We're three and a half apart. 
Uh, we need 60 votes to get appropriations approved in the Senate, not 50. I don't think it'd be smart to shut the government down between now and the end of September. Under President Trump, we're going to fund about 70 to 80 percent of the government before September 30th, the first time we've done that in 30 years. We'll get wall money. We've got to do something with DACA. I think you marry those two up. But the worst thing we could do, in my view, is shut the government down and be blamed for it. The last time that happened under Schumer's watch, it didn't work out well for them. We'll get wall money. It'll most likely occur after September the 30th. So here's what I like about that. We're going to get wall money. You had me at hello. Let's get the wall money and get the wall built. The longer they dither and procrastinate, the more people come here illegally and are there's all kinds of horrible things happening to them. And uh, as American citizens, we're responsible for this. And we've got to put a stop to it. The lawlessness has got to stop. We have to put a stop to it. Um, so let's now talk about this is some, some more good news. This is in the good news pile. You've got this U.S. judge striking down a California ban on handgun ads. Yes, because California is just like off the chain. U.S. judge on Tuesday struck down a nearly century-old California law that banned handgun ads at gun shops, saying the state failed to show it would prevent suicides or crime. The 1923 law, this is amazing, banned any handgun ads at gun shops that were visible from outside the store. State officials argued that ads would spur impulsive people to buy a handgun and impulsive people were more prone to suicide and crime. The law, however, did not restrict ads for other firearms. So Judge Troy Nunley in Sacramento noted in his ruling that gun shops could display a large neon sign reading guns, guns, guns or a 15 foot depiction of a sporting rifle. The judge said they could also place ads for handguns elsewhere, such as on billboards blocks away. They just couldn't have the handgun sign on the actual gun store window, anywhere near the actual gun store. So he says, and I quote, the government may not restrict speech that persuades adults who are neither criminals nor suffer from mental illness from purchasing a legal and constitutionally protected product merely because it distrusts their personality trait and the decisions that personality trait may lead them to make later down the road. So the ruling came in a lawsuit filed in 2014 by several gun dealers who were fined by the state for having handgun ads near their businesses. If you are someone who is providing a constitutionally protected product or service, you should be able to communicate that to people in the same way a bookseller would be able to advertise that they sell Bibles and Korans. Wow, that's a really interesting uh, pairing there. Brandon Combs, executive director of the Cal Guns Foundation and gun rights group, said dealers should be able to say they sell handguns. So uh, there it is. It is good news because it's good for consistency. I'm sure there's some liberals who are now saying, you know, uh, that, that, that it's just not that great. Um, and so the other thing I, I think I'll just address one final time is this idea that I don't think um, – Racism exists in America because I don't support Colin Kaepernick or that I'm too good for racism or that um, I'm somehow above it because I don't support Colin Kaepernick. To the contrary, if you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, you know that I've actually talked about experiencing racism here on the air, not because I'm a victim, but because it happened. And in the context that I shared it in, it was a part of a greater discussion. So this isn't about me not having 
ever experienced racism or believing that racism doesn't exist. As long as human beings sin, there will be racism, just like there will be people who lie, people who shoplift, people who steal. There'll, as long as humans are on this earth, there's going to be sin. The issue is, do I agree with someone taking their protest to the work site? So to close this out for the last time, my issue with Colin Kaepernick is not that he wants to discuss better policing relations between disadvantaged communities like the black community and our, na- our nation's individual police forces. My issue with him is that he has taken that protest on his work hours. He's used it to inflame other people to protest during their work hours, and he's ruining a national pastime that also happens to be his employer and has since resulted in him being unemployable which has encouraged other people to do the same thing because they're following after foolishness. So if Colin Kaepernick had decided to launch protests about whatever his issue is on his personal time at press conferences and on his Instagram feed and on his Twitter feed and all those different things, and he had garnered a following that way, then it would be an easier proposition for people like myself to consider what it is that he's protesting because it wouldn't be wrapped up in the flag, the national anthem and veterans of which I am one. I believe that racism exists. I just don't believe that racism is the reason why you don't have that job you want or the reason why you're not living in the neighborhood you want to live in or the reason why you're not, experiencing whatever that is that you want to experience. It's not racism. I hate to be mean. Actually, I don't hate to be mean. I'm that's that's not even true. Being mean is something that some people like and I'm praying about it. I'm definitely not proud of it, but here's the truth. It's you. Any person who has something in their life that they've been working towards that they have not yet achieved can look in the mirror and say it's you. Or it's that you've prayed over it and it's not what God has for you. And so again, it's you because you're wanting the wrong stuff. This isn't about racism. You know what is interesting is if a racist says to a black person, you're not going to have this job, then God will provide you with a better job than what you just missed out on there. That's how I know racism isn't the reason why people aren't succeeding in this country, because I believe that the God I serve is bigger than racism. He's also bigger than people who want to, you know, be mean to tall people or people who are curvy and, you know, need to work out more often. You know, whatever the thing is that someone's trying to punish a person for, God's bigger than all that. Whatever he has for you, he has for you and no man can take it from you. Go to the father, ask him what you're supposed to do and then go do it. What has he told you to do that you haven't done yet? Go do that. Stop talking about racism. We'll be back right after this. Good news, you are not stuck with your healthcare plan. Really, you have a choice and it's a great one. It's called MediShare. And if you've heard about it and wondered what exactly it is, it's a way that people share their healthcare bills. And these are people who have a common faith, who wanna be part of something beautiful that not only meets their healthcare needs, but the needs of others too. And it's people who love to save money big time. MediShare members typically save $500 a month per family on their healthcare costs. That is a life changer for people. So this could be for you. Maybe it's what you've been looking for, a way to pay healthcare bills that's not only very smart financially, but it's even profound. MediShare is a nonprofit with 400,000 members nationwide who pray for and share with each other. So yes, you're not stuck. There's another way and it could save you a lot. 
Hit star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your health care. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. According to the latest economic research, median household income is up significantly compared to previous years. Inflation-adjusted median household income hit $62,000. That is the highest level since the research group started tracking such economic numbers 18 years ago. In fact, when you combine these economic statistics with annual census data, you discover that median household income is at an all-time high. Now, if you've been listening to my commentaries, you know that I rarely talk about such economic news. I made an exception in this case for the very good reason. Median household income is the highest it has ever been, but I doubt you heard much about it in the mainstream media. And I think you probably know the reason for that. Members of the media dislike President Donald Trump. But don't you think it is good news for families that household income has increased 4% in the last 19 months Trump has been president? Before he took office, household income had been flat. During the eight years when President Obama was in office, median household income only rose three-tenths of one percent. Frequently, I say on radio that presidents often take too much credit for a good economy and receive too much blame for a bad economy. But political and economic policies do make a difference. And the latest economic news should be reported, and at least partial credit should be given to the current administration. Other positive news that is often overlooked is the conference board report that consumer confidence just hit an 18-year high. The same report indicates that job satisfaction is the highest it's been since 2005, and a different survey found that 86% of blue-collar workers said that they were satisfied with their jobs. This is positive news that you probably won't hear too often. That's why I wanted to tell you about it today. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From Universal 1440, Unbroken, Path to Redemption, the rest of World War II hero Louis Zamperini's true story in theater September 14th, rated PG-13. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What is it that unites us as a country? Why are we a country? Well, I had to go back to my, my foundational roots as a Christian, and I have to say, uh, Psalms 133 said, uh, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to get to uh, gather together in unity. And the United States does have a Christian foundation. We're not a Christian nation. We're not a theocracy, but we do have our foundational principles based in Judeo-Christian morality. And so we had to come together as one. We were unified as one. You had to bring those 13 colonies together, and you needed to have something that was going to unite us. That's where we came together with the Declaration of Independence. That's where we came together with the Constitution, which was built on the framework of the Declaration of Independence that made it clear that we are all human beings created with certain unalienable rights. And so that's what binds us together is the idea, the principle of unalienable rights. And so when you decide to be anything other than an American, an unhyphenated American, you're talking about disunity and there's nothing beautiful about disunity. Is Christopher Harris. He's been on the program a couple times before, a good friend uh, of, of me and my husband. And he is... He's dead on there. He's dead on. So, uh, you know, backstory there is Tucker Carlson had given a monologue last week about how diversity, celebrating our differences, it, it doesn't work anywhere. It doesn't work in the military. The military doesn't take disparate groups of people and put them through basic training, sp speaking from the enlisted perspective, so that at the end you come out all celebrating your differences. No, 
there's a reason why everyone in that unit, all 300 and some women of us who went through basic training when I was there, we all made our beds the same way. We all folded our undershirts the same way. If you pulled open, if you open one of our lockers, all of our clothes were hung the same way. All of our drawers, if you open them up, everything was arranged in the same way. Because they were neat freaks or they were training us for a career in retail? No. They did that because they had to root out the natural individualism that causes people to be, uh, you know, so diverse that they can't form a cohesive unit. They don't call military units units because they're groups of diverse people. Yeah, they can be groups of diverse people, but the people have had all of that individualism that prevents them from acting as a cohesive unit drummed out during basic training and then technical school so that at, when it's needed, they can form up in a regimen and follow orders to the T and that they're following the orders out of rote activity as opposed to the conscious decisions that you have to make. When people's lives are on the line, when you have to perform a duty that you don't want to perform, but you have to do it so people will not die, that is when you least want the person who's a creative folder and never learned how to make a military corner on her mattress in basic, that's not the one you want next to you. The one you want next to you is the one who picked up all of that, also maxed out on all of their physical qualifications, and was mentally clear enough to get through technical school and make the best grades and still maintains that military precision. So they can sit around and laugh and they can go and, you know, share a meal with friends and they can be as relaxed as you name it. But when it comes time to put the uniform on, they're dressed right dress and they're reliable, dependable, and they'll take orders. That is what Tucker Carlson was talking about when he said military units don't want diversity there's hardly no group in the world. You don't want diversity in a marriage. You don't want a marriage in which one person has nothing in common with the other and is in love with someone else. And the same thing for the other spouse. That's not a marriage. That's two people who should not have went to a, a church service together. In all things, diversity is not our primary object. Now, if you listen to certain political you know, uh, mouthpieces, they're going to tell you, well, diversity is the primary goal. Multiculturalism is the primary goal. All Tucker Carlson was saying was that America wasn't built on multiculturalism. It was built on the idea of individual liberty and constitutionally protected rights and a government that instead of being there to impose its will on you was there to protect you so you could live in whatever fashion that you wanted to, but, but taking care of yourself. So Tucker Carlson just made some uh, what I consider to be very, very benign comments about diversity. And there was a huge backlash against him. And then uh, Christopher Harris saw it on the news and he called over to the producer and said, I, I got I got words to say on this. And so you just heard what he had to say there, which was brilliant. But he wasn't finished. Here's the rest in diversity, too. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I just wonder why the people who have benefited the most from our society the people who went to Princeton and have cable shows or the people making $100 million in private equity, the people who really have a stake in, in the country and ought to be grateful to the country are so unconcerned, it seems to me, with what might hold the country together going forward. Shouldn't they be the stewards of our country? Shouldn't they be working to unite us rather than divide us? But they're not. Why? Well, there's powers that be out there that benefit from this disharmony, uh, that, that 
they're looking to break things up. And at the end of the day, once again, as a Christian, I know that, that there is an enemy out there who wants to divide us. That's what, they, that's what he seeks to do is to divide. And so the United States is a beacon of light to the rest of the world. People come from all over the world to be Americans, to embrace the American idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so there's always going to be people who oppose that idea. That's just the reality of the world. Uh, but when you look around, and I just had a conversation in the green room with uh, Sarah Carter, an interesting conversation about the fact that her family came from, from Cuba. And they did not come here. And as she was saying, her mother did not come here to proudly wave the Cuban flag. Her mother came here across the, across the, uh, the, the 90 miles from Cuba to be an American. And that's what people come here to do is to be an American. Yes. That's what we've always done, Tucker, until recently. And so when he talks about coming here to be an American, it kind of harkens back to our first guest who was brilliant. Um, I, you know, uh, really, really great content there. Um, we're talking about Dr. Jason Hill, who was on an hour one talking about his book. And, you know, we, we have we have options. So we always have the option of saying, you know what, even though uh, I may be living this way or that way, it's it's really these men, you know, that that are keeping me back. And I don't mean men like I'm a woman man. I mean, these other people in the world who are keeping me back. The reason I don't have that job, the reason I'm not living there, the reason my kids aren't at that school is because of racism or you can say, you know what? First of all, you have not because you haven't asked. We serve a God that's bigger than all of that. And I've seen the stories. One, one story pops to mind, the couple that I know. And the husband had been feeling kind of basically stuck. And he'd gone back to school, gotten a bachelor's degree, and then gotten a promotion. But it, it wasn't a huge promotion. It was like a step up. And then he went back and got his master's. And that took a while, you know, because he's working and he's got a family. And he's doing all that. But he did it. He gets the master's degree, and then he watches someone else who just has a bachelor's get promoted over him in the the company, someone he worked with. And then that person left that company and went to work somewhere else. And meanwhile, the the person we're talking about is still working there. And he's, you know, he's just waiting. He's like, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to get promoted. So at some point he decides, you know what, I'm going to start interviewing outside the company. Maybe if I, you know, go out and see what else is out there, maybe that it's time for me to leave here. So he goes out and he interviews, and on the third round of interviews, so he's interviewed for one company, he didn't get that job, but he didn't, it wasn't really his primary choice, but it would have been a step up. The second job was even better than the first, but still not the one he really felt like he would take. It was an out-of-town move. He was thinking, wow, I, I thought we were going to stay here. So, And I'm, I'm with them this whole time. I'm like, wow, you know, this, you know keep praying. God, God, God has this under control. So this this third job, he goes out of town to interview for it, and he's in the final round. It's just him and one other guy. And they're praying, and this is the increase they're looking for, but they have to move. And she said to me, you know, I, I, I just didn't see us moving because we have this church home here, and I really feel like we're growing and we're learning. And, I, you know, this means we have to start over, find a new church home. We have to move. We have to start the kids over in school. But this opportunity is really good for my husband. I support him. We'll do it. You know, we'll do whatever. So they get to the end of it and they just know this is the one. It's the benefits, it's the pay, it's the package, it's everything that they've been dreaming of and he doesn't get the job. So he's very discouraged. And they weren't talking about racism or anything. They just were thinking, you know, it's amazing that he got that far and he didn't get the job. So then about nine, ten months go by. He's kind of plodding along, you know, he's, he's feeling pretty low because he's, he's not got any new interviews or anything going on. And then he gets a call from a recruiter 
And he says, I got this, this opening that they're like, it's one of the ones I'm looking for. And I thought of you, you should put in an application. So he puts an application in and they call him. And so he begins this long process of interviewing for this job. And when I say long process, she and I would like be checking in with each other. Every time I'd see her, I'm like, what's going on? He was in for a a fourth interview. I'm like, for the same job? They're like, no, they think he's overqualified for that first job. So they're putting him up for this other job. I'm like, wow. Okay. So every time I see her, I'm checking in. She's like, girl, he's been there so much. The people at the front desk say he ought to have a badge because he's interviewed so many times, but he's still not gotten a job offer. I said, just keep praying, you know, and, and so I'm trying to encourage her because I just, it just seems like it's this long saga. So in the end, he ends up going to work for that company after numerous interviews and they were like trying to slot him into a position that fit his skill set. He ends up getting hired for a position that's two positions above the original job he applied for through the recruiter. And the increase in the salary is such that she, when she was telling me about it, and we don't usually share this kind of info, but she was so shocked by how much more money her husband was making at this job compared to the job that they were literally, they, she cried when he didn't get the other job because she just knew that was opportunity. They didn't, not only did not have to move, but he was making so much more money that they were able to take their kids out of a school that they didn't really like and put them in a Christian school. And it, the, the increase I mean, it's just out of this world, a kind of an kind of indescribable kind of increase. Now, the couple is black. And this happened to them. And afterwards, she and I were just like rejoicing and getting so happy. And she said, I feel like the Lord is telling me, you know, it's all good for us to have what we want. But what he has for us ultimately is best. And we were praying for this. We were willing to take the other because we thought, wow, this is good enough. But God never gives us good enough. He always sends the blessings. If you're obedient, he, the Bible says blessings will chase you down and overtake you. Now, if you've ever run track or if you've ever raced in a car or done anything like that, you understand that you're already going at a good clip. If a blessing is going to run you down and overtake you, it's going to come at such a speed you don't even see it coming. The Bible says he will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Black person, no. It says he will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Period. So that's if you're white, if you're black, if you're Asian, if you have the purple polka dots, like some people like to say when they're talking about race, whatever it is that you got going on, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. Christ is in all. He is over you as well. He's in you as well. And if you have something that you're working towards and you're working as unto the Lord and you're praying over your work and you're obedient, you're not disobeying what he's told you to do, whatever that might be then you must not only know what God's word says about how he treats his children, but you must expect that his word is true and that it will come to the point where you experience those things as well. It is one thing to hear me talking about it and tell you the story about the couple that I know. It's another thing to experience it for yourself, to pray and work as unto the Lord, expecting that he will fulfill your needs and take care of you and that he will give you the desires of your heart. If you believe that racists can stop you from receiving the blessings of God, then you are right. Not because the racists are stopping you, but because your unbelief prevents you from receiving what God has for you. It doesn't change what he has for you. It doesn't change the abundance that he wants you to have. And this is not prosperity gospel. 
We are all going to struggle. This life is full of struggles. And if you are living and walking in Christ, you are going to experience persecution and things are, are not going to be a peach for you. But there are things that God has for you that he wants you to have that you want. They're the desires of your heart, which are given to you by God. And the reason you don't have them is because you believe some person that you've never met before, or maybe it's a person you know, like your boss, has more control over you than God has. And I tell you what, when you get ready to walk out of that, get your back ready for those blessings to run you down and overtake you. And it's not always the money. It could be that improvement in your marriage. It could be that closer relationship with your children. It could be the relationship with a friend or a sister or relative brother that has been destroyed that God restores. If you believe that some human is in charge of it, then so be it. But if you believe the God who spoke the entire universe into being with the power of his mouth, the God that we serve, that is the Alpha and Omega, meaning he he transcends time. He is present at the beginning of your life, before you're born, the dawn of time, the end of time, which there is no end of time. He's also present at the end of your life. He's there waiting for you. He's in eternity. He's in heaven. He's here right now. He's where two or more are gathered together. He's in our praise. He rejoices over you with singing. That God is not encumbered by racism. There is no sin that can him in or impede a God like that. So the question is, who do you serve? Who are you serving? If you serve this, if you serve the permanent tan, if you believe that skin color is everything, then so be it. That's how you're going to live. You're going to walk and live a life that is a shadow of what you could have. Where you can believe that you have a personal savior who took the weight of a hundred million, billion, quadrillion, whatever the, the astrophysicist number is. Every human being that has ever been born or ever will be born, that God allowed himself to hang on a cross and receive the full weight of the sin of all of those people. And it was so much that God asked to have it taken from him, yet he stood there and took it. On your behalf, he received the entire recompense for your sin and then went down to the gate of hell and took the keys and now sits at the right hand of the father, victorious, pleading the blood of, the, of, of, of Jesus over you. So you either serve that guy or you serve whatever skin color issue you think you have. And so, again, one more time, it's not that I don't think racism exists. That would be like me saying the sky isn't blue or ants don't exist. We know all of these things are real. We know the sky is blue. What I don't believe is that any racist can overtake the promises of the Most High God. He sits on the throne and he wants to answer your prayers. Let go of the boogeyman and worship him. He never fails. When we get back, we have more for you. Stay right there. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. As if college students aren't already totally triggered, George Washington University hosted a workshop for students and faculty on the unmerited perks and favors showered upon white Christians, which are unavailable to everyone else. The Multicultural Student Services Center wants to teach minority students they are dupes. 
meaningless buzzwords like ally, unconscious bias, and microaggression were employed for this purpose. The Bible is very clear that we are indeed privileged to be the beneficiaries of Jesus Christ's great work on the cross. We are also called to suffer with him, which is a privilege. Christianity is open to everyone, period. Wouldn't it be great if GWU got out of the business of oppressor talk and back to teaching higher ed? Because that is what the parents of those students are paying tuition for. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Netflix continues to ignore the outcry about 13 Reasons Why. The American Family Association, along with Parents Television Council and several other pro-family groups have reached out to the streaming service, urging the cancellation of their program. Netflix has not even responded to our letter. Instead, they released an even more vile season two and are producing season three. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says their program is engaging and that it fosters discussion of taboo topics like suicide and sexual assault. But at what cost? 14-year-old Anna Bright and several other teens have committed suicide after watching the show. Hastings calls our objections propaganda. Does he feel the profitability of his company is worth more than the lives damaged or lost because of his show? Please sign our petition to Netflix, learn more, and share our action alert when you visit afa.net. And pray Reed Hastings will recognize the dangers of 13 Reasons Why. Securing America. 17 years after 9-11, the FBI has ongoing terror investigations in all 50 states. The terrorists are still targeting us. Some seek to infiltrate this country. Others plot from afar. They want to intimidate and control us. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, in remarks at the Justice Department on the anniversary of the attacks, praised the work of the National Security Division. 17 years ago, few would have predicted that we would go so long without another attack on the scale of what happened in 9-11. But Sessions warned threats continue to evolve. Today, it's often online. A terrorist in Alexandria, Egypt, can contact a sympathizer in Alexandria, Virginia. Sessions said since 9-11, the Justice Department has secured the convictions of over 580 defendants for terrorism or terrorism-related charges. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's absolutely absurd. And I have to tell you, to be honest with you, Chris, sometimes I, I watch a little bit of TV in the morning and then I go to the White House and I feel like uh, I, I'm in a parallel universe. I walk into a White House where there's a president behind the desk. He's in command. He's constantly driving forward on, on delivering on the promises that we made for the American people. And then I go home at night and I see cable TV talking about all of this stuff about disarray in the White House. And it's just not my experience. I mean, I, I, but I, I tell people, look at the results. You look at the passage of historic tax cuts for businesses and individuals and the way that jobs are coming back and investment is coming back, the renegotiation of trade deals, our allies contributing more to our common defense. All of that is happening because we have a president of, of almost boundless energy who comes in every day regardless of what's happening in the, the Washington media culture and says, what are we doing today to deliver for the American people? And I think that's why I, I see such enthusiasm as I travel across the country. 
Wow. So that's Vice President Mike Pence talking about uh, the, the kind of dichotomy between the people that he sees and talks to who are Americans and what you see in the media. And uh, I want to, before we get into our next subject, I, I really want to get to this federal judge siding unanimously with President Trump over the protesters in 2016. This is an important case because um, if the left decides to deploy um, Antifa and these violent protesters, the kind of Occupy Wall Street third generation folks, then you're going to see the same kinds of accusations hurled at Donald Trump. And uh, this judge absolutely eviscerated their claims. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to say, y'all, I'm getting in trouble with my boss at Urban Family Talk because we haven't had any listener stories. So I've been asking for you guys to call in for the listener stories. Now, listen to me. This is like you leaving a voicemail about why you like any one of the shows on the network. So notice I'm not saying you have to call in about my show. Just call in about one of the shows that you like. And so this is in preparation for October share And we need you. We are listener-supported radio. The first part of this is that we want to have these stories to inspire others who may just be tuning in for the first time. That's how radio is. People are constantly just tuning in for the first time, just finding hosts, just listening and kind of doing what they do. And so you can call in and leave this quick voicemail. And what we want you to do is share your first name, the state you're calling from, and then your story, whether it's that you heard, you know, let's say you heard me ranting, or maybe your favorite thing is when I blame stuff that liberals are doing on unicorns, because that's a new thing that I'm going to be I'm going to keep that up. I think it, I, it actually cracks me up. At night, I tell the kids about it over dinner, and they just laugh and laugh and laugh. What new thing have the unicorns done now? And then I tell them. So I'm going to keep doing that. Um, so you definitely can call. And, and if you're not able to call now, I know how it is. I, I'm a radio listener, too. Sometimes I'll be riding along in, you know, in my minivan doing my thing, and someone will say, you should call in such and such. Well, I'm not calling when I'm, I'm driving. you know. So I can't do it then. But definitely purpose to call. The number is 877-327-5647, 877-327-5647. And when you leave the voicemail, what they'll do is they'll save it until the week before share and then they'll play it. And so that'll be really great. The other thing that will be awesome about it is that I will have one on there and then my boss will be like, look at Stacy. She did what was she was asked to do. So I've been, I've been asking y'all to do this, but no one's been calling in. So help me to help you to help me help you call into the number one more time. 877-327-5647. Okay. Now, so you've got this, um, this federal judge and he's citing, and this is such good news. Like we've had great news. We had the, the abortion laws for safer clinics in Missouri. That was good news. And we have the good news from Jeff Sessions about the immigration judges. They're going to have more of them. They've already had a surge. They're going to have another surge. And now we've got this, this federal judge unanimously siding with Trump over the 2016 protesters. So um, what he says is that these protesters from 2016 sued then Donald Trump. You know, he wasn't elected yet um, because they say they got hurt. When they were at the rallies, remember all the violence and we found out later it was planned. They were paid by Craigslist advertisers who were working for Antifa organizations. They were paying people to go to these Trump rallies and fight and get hurt. So Donald Trump would say, get him out of here. You know, get get those protesters out of here. That guy punched. He sucker punched somebody. Get him out of here. You know, you animal. Remember, remember that we were I was laughing about it. Well, they sued and said that they were attacked because Donald Trump said, get him out of here. 
But a panel of three judges on the Sixth Circuit unanimously ruled that Trump's remarks weren't calling for violence or inciting a riot. And two of the judges and went further. Two of the judges went further and said Trump's speech needs to be protected under the First Amendment. This three-judge panel on the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Sixth Circuit sided with the president, finding that his comments at the rally were vague enough to be shielded by the First Amendment. They also found that his conduct didn't fall under Kentucky's anti-rioting law. Judge David McKee said, speech is powerful, writing in the majority opinion. He quoted another case, yet as a nation, we have chosen to protect unrefined, disagreeable, and even hurtful speech to ensure that we do not stifle public debate. McKee wrote in Tuesday's opinion that the idea that Trump's conduct at the Louisville rally met the standard under Kentucky law for inciting a riot was undermined by the fact that at one point Trump also said, get him out of here, don't hurt him. Isn't that something? He said, don't hurt him. So the judge wrote that the remarks fall under the First Amendment because he did not specifically advocate imminent lawless action. He says, it follows that if Trump's speech is protected, then the fact that audience members reacted by using force does not transform Trump's protected speech into unprotected speech. So in other words, if you say, everybody, you know, back away, that person's hurt, and instead a bunch of people run in and kick the person, you are not liable because those people took that bad action after you spoke, if, especially if you said, don't do that, which is what is the case here. He says, McKee wrote that the reaction of listeners does not alter the otherwise protected nature of speech. The decision was unanimous, but one member of the panel, Judge Helene White, thought it was a closer call. She wrote a one page concurring opinion saying that the majority opinion eludes salient details of Trump's speech. She didn't say what. And gave too much weight to the don't hurt him comment. White wrote that she agreed Trump's conduct didn't meet the standard for inciting a riot, but she said the court should have stopped there and not delved into the First Amendment question. You remember him making these comments. In fact, it was one of the things that people, one of the reasons why he had standing room only is because he would go in there and he'd get behind, um, you know, the microphone and he'd be like, well, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. We're we're going to talk about we're going to talk about these protesters. We're going to talk about this media. And then he would just start talking off the cuff and he'd be up there for a couple of hours just talking. And so all of it wasn't. You know, his best. But I still think it was it was genius as far as campaigning goes, because it kept people engaged. People couldn't wait to go to the rallies, standing room only overflow rooms. It was just it was great campaigning. And um, the fact that the protesters sued after they went in there and mixed it up with people and sucker punch people just goes to show you that people have no shame, no shame, no shame. So let's listen to John Bolton. He's talking about the International Criminal Court, which has become an issue in the news because they're saying that if the United States, they said this last week before he made the announcement a couple of days ago about dismantling or basically shutting down the Palestinian Liberation Office in Washington, D.C. And they said, if you do that, we're going to, we're going to prosecute America and Israel. We'll bring you up on charges. And Bolton was like, bring it. If you try to you know, do stuff to us, we'll basically, we'll sanction you. We'll do all kinds of things. And after we've done all that, we'll sue you too. And we'll prosecute you in America. And we're no longer going to be a part of your international court system. We're just going to ignore you and let you die off on your own. Here he is just laying it down as number one. 
I want to deliver a clear and unambiguous message on behalf of the President of the United States. The United States will use any means necessary to protect our citizens and those of our allies from unjust prosecution by this illegitimate court. We will not cooperate with the ICC. We will provide no assistance to the ICC, and we certainly will not join the ICC. We will let the ICC die on its own. After all, for all intents and purposes, the ICC is already dead to us. If the court comes after us, Israel, or other U.S. allies, we will not sit quietly. We will respond against the ICC and its personnel to the extent permitted by U.S. law. We will ban its judges and prosecutors from entering the United States. We will sanction their funds in the U.S. financial system, and we will prosecute them in the U.S. criminal system. And that, my friends, <laughs> is throwing down the gauntlet. No red line, no imaginary lines, no we'll talk about it. He basically outlined everything they can look forward to, all their American investments, all their money in banks and institutions that are either American banks or do business with American banks. He's talking about literally cordoning them off in a corner and then turning around and walking away and leaving them there. Whatever they have in the corner with them is all they will have because he will cut off all other avenues of funding and being able to do business. He's talking about cutting off their investments. You know, if you're receiving money or taking money out of a money market and that money market is in the U.S., and it, Bolton just said, you won't have access to your money. We'll sanction it. He's not even playing a little bit. He didn't come out and kind of halfway tell them what he was. He, he basically came out and said, so now what? You so, uh, Not only are you, basically you're dead to me. Did you hear him just say, you're dead to me? Basically, you're already dead to me. That is, that's epic. So they have to be sitting up mad and trying to figure out what they can do about it. And there's nothing they can do about it. Because what's interesting is that so as, because we have an international market and we are the reserve currency, sanctioning someone from our perspective cuts off almost every avenue they have to do business all over the world because it's all interconnected. I mean, this is just I think the reason we don't see this clip on CNN and other places is because when you hear that, you can't help but respect the resolve there. This isn't somebody who just he just woke up and rolled out of bed and said, you know, I'm, let me let me say this. No, he discussed it with the president. He went over what the options were with, um, you know, uh, different different advisors. And he, he did the research necessary. And then he looked at what they said they were going to do. And. Apparently, I guess they've tried to prosecute American soldiers for war crimes, so they've been on our bad list anyway. But I'll tell you what, that's the guy you want with you when you got something smoking and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. That's, that's your guy. That's, that's your uh, foxhole buddy and, you know, you brought your AR-15 and, and a few sidearms and he's got three AR-15s and M4 and M16. He's got some sidearms. He's got the tiny little pea shooter that gets strapped to your ankle and he's got all the knives. 
<laughs> that's the guy you want with you. So um, I thought I thought that was it's a great way for us to kind of, again, as we see what President Trump and his cabinet do on the foreign policy front, it continues to build the ever growing new policy direction for our international relations that was once the Obama doctrine and now we're past that and now we're into the Trump doctrine and it seems on every front the idea is not just America first but it is that we are no longer going to be treated like the child in the room or led around by the hand to do things that aren't to our benefit that we're not going to be in relationships that don't benefit us and that if we're at the table we're at the table from a position of power because we're paying for everything and if you don't like what we're doing, we're not just going to take our ball and go home. We're going to take our ball, our bat, all of our toys. We're going to take all of our grown-up stuff too, our cars, our planes, our money. We're going to take all of our international banking institutions. And, you know, we're going to take all of our stuff. If we decide to get up and go home, it's not just, you know, oh, here's your suitcase. It's this is our building. So us going home means you getting out. Thanks. That's the Trump doctrine. I think that's fantastic. Um, and they need the smack. They need it. They act like they have the ability to run this country. We're a sovereign nation with our own constitution. And we have our own military. And we have an amazing economy. So we don't need to have the international court telling us what we can and can't do, especially when this same international court doesn't even sanction or even try to prosecute um, any of the, the other countries that are actually doing really horrible things to their citizens. You don't see them bringing up the Venezuelan Maduro. They're not bringing him up on anything. They're not bringing any of these other countries up on their crimes. They're just always attacking America. I love it. He basically told them to get out of their own building because it's not their building, it's ours. I enjoyed that. All right, that's the day. I hope that people who are listening to the show today understand that I was speaking to you in love and that I genuinely want other people to have the opportunity to walk in abundance. But you can only do that if you let go of this idea that racism is the end all be all. The end all be all is Jesus Christ. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great night. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.